0: I'm Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. So glad to have you with us. All right, so where was Jeff on Friday? Well, you've heard a lot of these conversations about Jerry Kramer going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. If you follow me on Twitter, I actually even sent a photograph. My buddy and I um, went to Canton, Ohio. Now, this is the second time I have been to Canton for Hall of Fame festivities. Went a couple years ago when Brett Favre went in. Went back this year because I'm a huge Packers fan. Jerry Kramer finally getting in after 45 years, and it was an interesting experience. First of all, we, we did it right this time. Last time we drove – and it was supposed to be about a six-hour drive, but by the time you start talking about traffic in Chicago and road construction in Indiana and collisions on the Ohio Turnpike, that six-hour drive each way turned into about a ten-and-a-half-hour drive. So I said to my buddy, look, I'll go back for the Jerry Kramer thing, but we we got we to gotta fly. And couldn't have been nicer. Got on a three-o'clock flight out of Milwaukee to Cleveland, got a rental car. By 5.30 Milwaukee time, we were already at the hotel, and coming back was just absolutely outstanding as well that was the way to do it if you have ever if you ever have a chance to go to Canton Ohio on Hall of Fame Football weekend my advice is simple do it really an incredible experience. Football fans from all over the country come. Um, it's The football, Pro Football Hall of Fame is definitely worth going through. Now, the, the problem is, if you go on that Saturday when all the activities are going on, you're going to be waiting in long lines to get to just about everything. We got in there. There was a two hour wait to get into the room where they have all the busts of the players who are admitted. And I, I wasn't going to wait the two hours. But it, it was just, it was a lot of fun. The speeches were outstanding. Here's one of the things I thought was really interesting about the event. Now, Ray Lewis, I would say the largest number of fans were from Baltimore. Baltimore Ravens fans who were there. Ray Lewis, the great middle linebacker, he, you know, he was going in. I'd say the most fans that were there were Baltimore fans. Second most were Philadelphia Eagle fans who were there for Brian Dawkins, who was the the safety that played there. What I thought was interesting is Brian Urlacher from the Chicago Bears was going in. I was stunned. By how few Bears fans had made the trip. Now I don't mean to say that there were no Bears fans there, but they were. I think there might have been as many, if not more, Packers fans there. And typically, I mean, this is taking nothing away from Jerry Kramer, but he played during the Lombardi era. You know, when I was there two years ago for Brett Favre, it was eighty percent you know Packers fans that were there. This was, I mean, Jerry Kramer was well deserved of this, but he was from a different generation. I think there might have been as many Packers fans as Bear fans that were there, and I was really. Again, I guess I was kind of surprised that there was so few, so little support. And I don't mean there weren't any Bears fans there, but I was stunned by how few that there really were. The speeches were all good. It was interesting. It was a lot of fun. The one line that I took away from from all the different speeches that were given. Was Brian Dawkins, who was a safety for the Philadelphia Eagles, and I guess I hadn't realized this, but he he suffers from depression. I don't know if he's bipolar, but he talked about you know how he 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 wrestles with suicidal thoughts and things like that. And he was really talking about how he he tried to focus on after after he left football, after he retired, what his life was like. And and he had a line, and I I just. I remember I was going to actually write it down because I thought it was so interesting. He was talking about trying to cope with life after something ends. He said, it finally occurred to me that football is not who I am. Football is what I do or or what I did. And I thought that was so interesting and so appropriate for so many of us who allow perhaps our jobs to define who we are. And at the end of the day, we, our, our jobs are what we do. We can have great jobs. We can have fun jobs. We can love our jobs. But at the end of the day, what our life is really about is you know our family and our friends and the people who care about us and our faith and, and all those various things. That's, that's who we are. And whatever your job is, whether you're playing professional football or working at a radio station or driving a UPS truck or whatever, that's what you do. And it was kind of interesting, because I do think there's a lot of people who let what they do define who they are. And Brian, that was just a great line. It was just a great evening. Had a lot of fun in Canton, Ohio. Very, very good to get back. When we return, we've got a lot of stuff on today's program. We're going to talk about the latest developments in the Russian investigation. We're going to talk about a non-charging decision made by the local district attorney. Provocative topic as to whether white people can sing lyrics to rap songs without being labeled as a racist. It's an interesting controversy. One of the guys, one of the candidates running for U.S. Senate, and the election is a week from tomorrow, the primary election, says that maybe we should look at means-testing Social Security. If you don't know what that means, I will explain it to you, and we will discuss. But when we come back, it's a story written by a woman. It's called Motherhood in the Age of Fear. She raises a very provocative topic that I want to discuss with you. Stick around. It's 1215. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ Broadcasting Live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's actually, I mean, it's overcast. It was raining early. I will tell you, I love days like this at the fair because the, the lines aren't anywhere near as long. And uh, you, have, you can see everything. No worries about crowds. Come on out and enjoy yourselves. New rules in the NFL will offer plenty of changes for the upcoming 2018 season. Here's one that Greg Matzik says is sure to drive fans crazy all year. He'll share what it is, 640 tonight at Sports Central Broadcast Live. From the Wisconsin State Fair. All right. Here. I have said this on many occasions. I am a buyer. I am not a shopper. I hate going shopping. And I, for whatever reason, I've always hated going shopping. It's just I, I just I understand there's some people who love walking through malls or walking through stores. Me, it's like, okay, let's figure out what we want. Let's just go in, let's buy it, let's get out of there. I come at that honestly. I can remember when I was a kid and I forget when my parents finally trusted me enough to start leaving me home alone. I, I just I, I'm thinking maybe ten or eleven, maybe a little bit before that, but I don't remember before that. But what they would do a lot of times, okay, you you're too young to leave home alone, so they gotta go shopping, so they take you shopping. They throw you in the back of the car and you go off to the shopping center or whatever. I hated shopping. Even as a young child I hated shopping. So why drag this whiny eight year old into a grocery store or, you know, into a, a shopping mall or whatever when all I'm gonna to want to do is get the heck out so what my parents would do and, and I hope you're sitting down for this and my parents are long gone but I, I you know but I, they, they love me dearly I hope nobody would be calling child protective services but my parents would let me sit out in the car in the parking lot with a comic book or two or whatever and they let me like read they let me hang out in the car In the parking lot. Now, again, I wasn't four or five, but I mean, I can remember, you know, eight or nine years old, just sitting in the back seat of the car, reading comic books and stuff, while they're off in the stores, And, and everything was okay. We were able to do that. Well, here's an opinion piece that appeared in the New York Times just the other day. I want to share a portion of it with you, and then. We're going to talk about it. The opinion piece is called Motherhood in the Age of Fear, and it's by this woman. Her name is Kim Brooks. Here's what she writes. I was on my way home from dropping my kids off at preschool when a police officer called to ask if I was aware that there was an outstanding warrant for my arrest. No, no, I told him i didn 't know that I needed to call my husband. My fingers were shaking i don 't remember if I was crying when he answered, only that he was saying he couldn 't understand me that I needed to calm down. He needed to tell him what happened. well, he said she says what happened began over a year ago on a cool march day um At the end of a visit with my parents in Virginia, I needed to run an errand before our flight home to Chicago, and my son, four, then four, didn't want to get out of the car. Come on, I said. No, no, no. I wait here. I took a deep breath. I knew what I was supposed to do, but I was tired. I was late. I didn't want, at that moment, to deal with a meltdown, and there was something else going on, a small, quiet voice I'd be hearing more and more lately. Why? The voice asked. Why did I have to fight this battle? He wasn't asking to rollerblade in traffic. He just wanted to sit in the car. Why couldn't I leave him just this once? If it had been warm out, I would have said no. I know how quickly a closed car can overheat, even on a 60-degree day. But it was cool and cloudy. I'd grown up in the same town in the 1980s. I had spent hours waiting in the back of my parents' station wagon, windows open, reading or daydreaming while they ran errands. And this is now me interjecting. I can relate. That, I was that kid, too. Had so much really changed since then. So I told my son I'd be right back. I cracked the windows. I child locked the doors. I set the alarm. When I got back five minutes later, he was still playing his game, smiling. We picked up his sister, Our suitcases were back at my parents' house. We got the flight home. It took me a while to figure out what had taken place in the parking lot, that a stranger had watched me go into the store, recorded my son, recorded the license plate on my mother's car, and called 911. When our flight landed in Chicago, there was a message on my phone. I'm trying to get a hold of Mrs. Kimberly A. Brooks. I need to speak with Mrs. Brooks about an incident this afternoon in a parking lot. Once I realized what had happened, I felt like a terrible mother. I felt as though I'd been caught doing something very bad, even if I didn't understand what the bad thing was exactly or what the rationale was for its badness. I felt, I think, what just about every woman feels when someone attacks her mothering, ashamed. But had I committed a crime... There's no law in Virginia against letting your kid wait in a car, although amazingly, 19 states do have statutes addressing the situation. The police the police seem to think it was child abuse or neglect, that someone could have hurt or kidnapped my son while I was gone. When I tried to explain this to my outraged father, he said, Last I checked, kidnapping is a crime. Someone could break into my house and shoot me in the head, but the police aren't showing up to arrest me if I forget to lock my door. I don't think they see it the same. Way when kids are involved, I told him the same way. He said, "You mean rationally?" And then you know she goes through this story about how she ended up having to contact a lawyer. She had to retain a lawyer. Finally, she ultimately got charged. You're off to the races. But but this is the story. What the woman did. Is she left her four-year-old child unattended in a car? Not for two and a half hours, you know, while she went drinking. Not for two and a half hours while she went into a casino to gamble. She was running errands. The four-year-old didn't want to go, and she left him alone. And ended up getting nine-one-one called her and on her, and ultimately charged. All right, four-one-four-seven-nine-nine-one-six-twenty. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Look, nobody is going to argue that you should neglect children, that you can leave children alone, like I say, for hours. But this lady did what my parents did with me on a regular basis because I didn't want to go. Now, I was a little bit older. This child was four, but he didn't want to go. She didn't want to have the meltdown. She locked him in the car. She cracked the windows. It wasn't a dangerous situation as far as the heat or the cold, and she was gone for five minutes. Should this be a crime to leave a child unattended in a car? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will share with you my analysis, and we will discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Twelve twenty eight. HF Jeff Wacker, WTMJ broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Join our crew in supporting the crew on Saturday, August 25th at the Brewers Community Foundation's Hitting for the Cycle event. Together we'll conquer a beginner's bike ride that starts and ends at Miller Park. It's going to be very cool. Followed by a tailgate party and a matchup between the Brewers and the Pirates. Hitting for the Cycle benefits Dream Bikes, the Urban Ecology Center, and UW-Milwaukee's Life Impact Program. For more information or to sign up, text the word CARES, C-A-R R.E.S. to 414 WTMJ Cares is presented by First Bank Financial. Okay, so w- what ends up happening to this lady? If you're just tuning in, she le- all right, she's visiting her parents in Virginia. She's running a couple errands before. She's got to get on an airplane. She's got her four-year-old son with him. She goes to a store. She wants to run in. She's only going to be in there for five minutes. It's a four-year-old. He just He's refusing to go. She doesn't want to have the meltdown. She doesn't want to have the fight, so she says, fine, you stay here. She lost. The, the child locks the doors, cracks the windows a little bit. It's not like it's 80 degrees outside. She goes in for four minutes, comes out, leaves. Turns out somebody sees the child unattended in the car, calls 911, takes a picture of her license plate, and then she ultimately ends up having an arrest warrant issued for her. Now, the way this turns out is they ultimately dismiss the charges in exchange for her agreeing to do 100 hours of community service. I think this is absurd, I mean, I look, I understand there is child neglect that is out there. If we were talking about abandoning a child in a shopping center or, again, you go down to the gambling casino and you leave a kid unattended in a car for two and a half hours, I understand child neglect. I think it is a ridiculous aspect of the nanny state under facts like this to say – you cannot leave your four-year-old or your six-year-old or your eight-year-old or your ten-year-old unattended for any length of time in a car. Obviously, you got to look at the facts and circumstances. Could it be neglect? Yes, but I'm willing to bet a lot of us grew up. Again, having that same experience, and you know what? We survived, and I understand that all sorts of bad things can happen, but that doesn't make that behavior criminal. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you commit a crime if you leave a child unattended in a car, even for a few minutes? My answer is the world has gone mad, if the answer is Yes. 12:35. 35, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from the State Fair. All right, Ron texts, the same people who are reporting this woman for neglect would be videotaping her child having a meltdown and her reaction of possible corporal punishment and protesting that. Now, in conflict, Michelle texts, four is too young to leave alone in a car no matter where you are, meltdown or, mel- or not. Your mom is in charge. You're a mom in charge. Act like it and deal with the meltdown. All right, another texter. Of course, this is a crime i support the local police department in pursuing this alright one four seven 414-799-1620 let's start with frank and madison frank you're on wtmj good afternoon
1: hi um i was wondering how they would be able to charge her with a crime if all they had was, was somebody popping it on their cell phone if when the 911 responders got there she was gone
0: yeah she was gone that's what happened yep
1: how long did they know
2: that she was there and the kid was in the car
0: well, I don't think it. I think their position is it doesn't make any difference how long the kid was there. The fact is that she left the child unattended. Period, in the car because you had the woman who was videotaping this, and and it was a couple minutes. I mean, nobody says suggests it was more than four or five minutes. But their their theory is you leave a child unattended in a car for any length of time, and that is child
1: neglect. I I think that's stretching it way too much because I'll, I mean did the. Cell
0: phone video did they run the whole thing I mean I, how long was she sitting there yeah, well I mean no uh, thanks to call I mean I, but but I mean that's but that's the that's what they're saying this is this is a zero uh, effectively it is a zero tolerance crime that 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 that's at least what it's now become you're you are you pull into the gas station. You've got a child sleeping on the seat next to you. Let's say it's even an infant or something. You've got to run into the gas station to get a quart of milk or whatever. You're, you're at the pump. It's lit. You run in for a couple minutes to get the milk. The fact that you have left the child unattended in the car for any length of time at all, now in the view of some people, is a criminal act. It is that is that really the case? 414 Now, don't get me wrong. I, I fully understand that at some point in time, it, it does become neglect. We had a story not that long ago about a woman who's down at the gambling casino. She leaves a bunch of kids unattended in a car for hours while she goes gambling. There's always the stories about the people who leave the kids in the hot car for a couple hours, and bad things can happen. I'm not arguing that that's not examples of neglect, but the question becomes... Is it now absolute? Because this is pretty much it. Zero tolerance. You leave a child unattended in a car for any length of time, and you are guilty of child neglect. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Nathan in Milwaukee. Nathan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
1: Hey, good afternoon. Hey, I kind of was going to bring up the same point as the last caller. Like, I don't get how they're charging her with a a felony without an officer physically being there to to see it live and in person. It reminded me of another case a while back. I I witnessed uh, a drunk driver getting on the highway, swerving all crazy all over the road. Uh, You know, we called it in, and, you know, I could have you know, tweeted the police department a picture of his license plate, but that wasn't enough to charge him. They had to get officer mm-hmm. out here, track him down, pull him over, mm-hmm. brought the wise do an mm-hmm. interview before they said, yeah, he's wrong. You know, we're going to you know take him to jail. So I don't. But, okay. Yeah, I,
0: and I understand, right. You're, you're talking about problems of proof. But let, let's jump ahead to the, the, the bottom line, though. She admits that she left her child, her four-year-old, unattended in the car for less than five minutes. There, there's no evidence to suggest it was more than that. All right. In your mind, you leave a kid unattended while you run into the grocery store to grab something and then you come out. Is that is it child neglect to leave a child unattended for any length of time?
1: No, I don't believe it is, and that's where I think if of an officer had actually been there responding, and had a chance to interview her, they said, oh, it's five minutes, car was locked, alarm was on, windows open, yeah. you know, there's nothing here. You get a cell phone video, you know, out of context, that can make it look a little bit like something else that it might not have been. I think yeah. that's the yeah. biggest no, th- problem.
0: No, th- thanks for calling, Nathan. No, I, I you know, and I, and I get it, and you're, you're talking about a common sense sort of thing. That's not what I think happened. I, I, They charged her, or they cut this plea deal where she ended up getting 100 hours of community Service based on these facts because you know they confront her and she said yeah well I mean yes I yes I, I, I did leave the child unattended for a couple minutes he was having this mel- I didn't want to have the meltdown he wasn't going to go I was tired I didn't want to get into this fight I went in I dealt with this I came back all was well no problems and, and now they, they want to charge me with a crime actually they put an arrest warrant for her let's talk to Kelly in Johnson Creek Kelly you're on WTMJ good afternoon hello hi Kelly hi how are you. I, I'm good. Um, all right. Is is this a crime? She left her kid unattended in the car for four or five minutes. She admits she did it.
3: I don't believe it's a crime. But, you know, okay. I don't know all the, all the facts. I feel like um does it's a crime. I think that she couldn't see her. Maybe it wasn't that. You know, I do it all the mm-hmm. time. I feel like I... Be my granddaughter when I run to the gas station or, you know, I'm, I have a granddaughter now, but I did it all the time with my kids. As long as I keep yeah. an eye on her or when I lock the doors and there's some air flowing through, yeah. it's okay. Every time I pump the right. gas, I make sure I take the keys and I lock the doors. And but Right. If you're being so a little No, So
0: let's say it's a situation where a lot of people pay at the pump now, but let's say it's one of those deals where you've got to go inside to pay for whatever reasons. Okay, you're going to put cash on the – it it wouldn't – you don't think there's anything wrong? You get out of the car. You got to go into the gas station to give the guy some money or pick up a thing of milk. You're going to be inside for a couple minutes. Your your granddaughter or your kids they're asleep or they just don't want to go. You're not going to make them get out of the car and go into the gas station with you for this two or three minutes, right? You're you're, you're, no. you're just you're just not going to do it. No, uh,
3: no. I agree. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think, think it's most, ridiculous. I mean, you can lock your cars. You know, nowadays you can see through the glass every you know i just don't no, think it's it's too much of a hassle well, it is no.
0: Thanks, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. no. And see, look, and I, I understand. You can say to me, Jeff, don't you realize? Don't you remember all the stories that you talk about on the radio, where you have the the carjacker that comes up and grabs the car and drives off, and there's the child in the back seat? Yeah, I, I understand that. But of course, that happens. That happens if the lady gets out of the car and is pumping gas. There is always the potential for that. Look, I here's the problem with the nanny state. I I think we take behavior, which is actually normal and does not create problems. And we try to criminalize this because we want to be so incredibly judgmental about it. Is there a point in time where it, it would be child neglect to leave a kid? And again, I go back to when I was a kid. I mean, I don't think it was necessarily four or five, but I mean, I, I can remember just again, sitting certainly at the age of nine or something, just they'd, they'd leave me alone in the back seat. Okay, and you, you could crack the windows down. You sit, you read your book or, or whatever because I didn't want to go in and go shopping. My parents weren't neglectful parents. They weren't bad parents. It's just they were accommodating me because, I, I, you know, maybe, oh, they should have been tougher on you. Well, I, I don't know. They just didn't think it was going to be a problem. Now, in this particular case, it's just a couple minutes, and we're going to criminalize this? I mean, seriously, how many people do do this? Ann in Milwaukee. Ann, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
3: Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Hi, Ann. My point is, I, I agree with you, and My point is, if this do-gooder... There and took this picture of the license plate of the child, whatever. If they saw the woman go in, why didn't they? And if this was a gas station, why didn't they go in and say, You really shouldn't do that? Why didn't yeah, they
0: I think it was a grocery store, car. actually? But
3: oh, it was okay, I'm sorry, but, but regardless, why grocery store, gas
0: station, whatever. Town? Yeah,
3: why didn't they offer to stand there while the woman ran in and came out? Right. I, I, I just think I think right, I think our nanny state is going way too far. Certainly, the case here in Milwaukee of the of the casino is wrong. I mean, it's, right? It's well, well, uh, right. Exactly. The, no, th-
0: we, yeah. No, thanks for calling. I, yeah. Exactly. I mean. No, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Yeah, no, I mean, there, there, there's clearly, there is a line somewhere where leaving a child unattended crosses over into criminal behavior and neglect. I, I get it. You, you go away for a night with your boyfriend. Okay, that's, that's neglect. I, I understand that. But, I mean, it's, all right, you, you let your kid, you live across the street from a park, and you let your child go out and play in the public park. At the age of six or seven, is that a crime? Remember, we've had these stories about the parents who let their kids, you know, walk home from school. Heaven forbid they let their children walk home from school. And, and is that a crime? Now, I mean, I remember when I was in, oh, gosh, I mean, when I it would have been fifth grade. I mean, I we used now fifth grade. So what that that's 10. We used to walk a couple miles to and from school all the time. And nobody thought anything of it. Is that now neglect? I, I, We've got to concentrate on the big things, the real stuff, the real neglect, as opposed to, well, the story is motherhood in the age of fear, which is, and you could say fatherhood in the age of fear. Everybody's afraid that everything's going to happen to children, and that is a legitimate concern. But at the same time, now we just end up getting paralyzed by it. All right, when we come back, should the officer have been charged with a crime, Stick- around 1246 Jeff Wagner WTMJ we're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair 1248 Jeff Wagner WTMJ broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair plenty of room come on out all right here is the story we, we know over the last couple of years, it has kind of become a, a cottage industry to run from the police. Matter of fact, for years, the Milwaukee police largely allowed people to run from them. And that, I think, just inspired and encouraged other people to run from them. We no longer do that. So the, the idea is, you know, there is a very good chance that you will be chased if you try to run. And I think ultimately that's that's going to make the city safer. Ultimately. Well, here's what happens. March 1st. About it's about twelve forty five in the morning and there's a Greenfield Police Officer. Twelve forty five A.M. Um it's actually it's March second. Greenfield police officer is trying to pull over a pickup Truck. Here's what happens. Um, he's in the area of 34th and West Wilbur Avenue. All right. So it's 1245 in the morning. A pickup truck blows through a red light. There's a Greenfield police officer that sees this. He tries to pull them, them over. And, and you've got cameras that show this. Um, the officer pulls him over. Uh, The car slows down and then takes off and picks up speed. So the guy is fleeing the police officer. The police officer turns on his squad lights and begins to give chase. The driver of this pickup truck blows through stop signs and is taking turns at a high rate of speed. At that point in time, the officer decides to employ what is called a pit Maneuver. Um, A pit maneuver is something that they do. It's it's a technique. It's called pursuit intervention technique. And what it is, officers are trained to essentially nudge the back of a fleeing car and try to cause them to spin out. So the car is taking off, and what you do is you try to hit the car, you know, on an angle in the back and cause it to spin out. So you're going to try to make it stop. That's what they're trying to do. The officer tries to execute this maneuver twice, as the car is trying to pull away unsuccessful. The third time, it works. He he nudges the back of the car. Again, this car is driving at a high rate of speed, the pickup truck trying to get away from the officer, and the third time he does it, he nudges the car, and the driver loses control, he spins out, and he ends up smashing into a a tree um, of, of the car. The driver of the car is a 25-year-old guy who, who is, he dies as a result of the crash. Now, it turns out that um, there were some issues with drugs. There was a question about, he a guy apparently had outstanding warrant, drugs in his system at the time of the pursuit, an outstanding warrant and a revoked driver's license. But he's dead. And he's dead because the officer used this maneuver, smacked into the back of the car, caused him to lose control, and then he ended up hitting the tree. The officer didn't ram him into a tree, per se. The officer rammed the back of the car. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The district attorney's office has just gotten done with its review of this matter. Happened last March. They have decided no charges No charges against the police officer for what he did. The district attorney said that he he thinks that this conduct was was privileged. He'd been trained and certified to use the maneuver, and as a result... Um, it's an unfortunate result, but it's not a basis of criminal behavior. But yet somebody is dead. 414-799-1620, that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Did the district attorney get this one right? The police officer tried not once, but twice. It wasn't until the third time that he was able to successfully execute the maneuver, and when he did, it caused the death of a guy who was fleeing from him Should this be, is this criminal behavior on the part of the officer? I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1252, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1255, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So it's 1245 in the morning. There's a Greenfield police officer watches this pickup truck blow blow through a red light, pull away hits the bubble lights tries to pull him over the car accelerates and leads the police officer on a chase taking turns incredibly fast going through stop signs going through red lights the dot the Police officer tries to do what they call a pit maneuver, which is where you you bang into the side, the rear side of the car and you try to make the car you're chasing spin out so so it'll stop. He tries it twice, it doesn't work. He tries it the third time, it works. Guy who's driving the fleeing car loses control, smashes into a tree. He's dead. And the district attorney's office was considering whether to bring charges against the cop. They ultimately decided no. Did they get it right? 414-799-1620. Jim in Waterford. Jim your first good afternoon.
4: Hi there. Uh I think the attorney got it correct. He got it right. Um just don't run from the police. Sorry. Well yeah,
0: yeah, no, thanks for the call. Well, yeah, that, that's that's it. I, I mean, I don't know why it took, I mean, this is August. I don't know why it took, you know, from the beginning of March to try to figure this one out. To me, this is not rocket science. This is an approved tactic and a technique that police use. They are authorized to do this. Is it unfortunate that the guy ended up dead as a result of it? Yeah, but it, it was a properly executed technique. This is one of the consequences that happens when you decide that you are going to flee from police and not stop. four one four seven nine nine one six twenty 799 Wendell in Milwaukee. You're in WTMJ. Good afternoon.
1: Well, hi, how are you? I just had a comment. Uh, I'm hearing what you're saying on the police, but you have to consider the policy, the police policy and procedure. I would think that if that's the case where they're going an excessive of 50, 60 miles an hour, they have training to tell when the maneuver should be done. They also have to understand the surroundings. So if you have children in the area you can't just do it sure. anywhere at any time i think there might have been other ways to maybe uh to try to pursue them and not use this maneuver in this particular situation i don't know how many the time of day it happened i don't know how many children in the middle in the
0: of a.m it was 12 it was the middle of the night we are i mean obviously you know that's always one of the things if it's you know, if you're, if you're talking about driving in front of an elementary school at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when it's getting out, right. yeah, you're, you're right. not going to be doing it. This was 1245 in the morning. So thanks for the call. I appreciate it. No, and, I, and look, I, I don't think you always do it. You use individual judgment. In this particular case, you know, no no civilians, no pedestrians got hurt. Um, it, It's just the question is, you know, is this tactic an appropriate one? And if you use this technique, should you be charged with a crime if a bad thing happens? And for me, the, the cop, it was completely a privileged thing. He was trying to do his job. The problem, and the reason this young man is unfortunately dead, is because he was running from the cops. It's 109. This is Jeff Wacker. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair 2018. Uh, great day to come on out here. Actually... Because it's a Monday, number one, attendance is typically lower on a Monday. And then, of course, you had the rain this morning. Uh, there's a lot of people wandering around having fun. But these are the days I, I actually love coming out to the fair because the lines aren't as long. I mean, I went down to the Wisconsin Products Pavilion where I got here. No line at the baked potato place. Can't say it's that way now. Don't know one way or the other. But I, I just love these days. And the fair just continues to roll on. I will be broadcasting uh, most days. I think. I don't think I'm here Thursday because it's an early Brewers game. Otherwise, here for the balance of the week. All right, my question at the end of the little factual scenario I'm going to run down is going to be, do you care? Do you care? The Trump campaign continues to be, and the Trump presidency, continues to be embroiled in, in this ongoing investigation by the special prosecutor in connection with was there collusion, was there a conspiracy, did now President Trump, when he was candidate Trump, conspire with the Russian government to defeat Hillary Clinton. Why is that relevant? Well, it's against the law for a foreign government to, of course, meddle in U.S. elections. And similarly, it is against the law for U.S. campaigns to knowingly and intentionally take things of value from a foreign government in connection with a campaign. So that's the background. If you haven't been following it here, let me kind of give you the the Reader's Digest version of the controversy involving this meeting that occurred. In 2016... Members of the Trump campaign had several meetings with individuals who had connections to Russia. One of them happened on June 9th of 2016. And this is after President Trump has pretty much secured the Republican nomination, but doesn't have it yet. June 9th, 2016, a meeting is held in Trump Tower in New York City. There's Donald Trump Jr., There's Jared Kushner, who is the son-in-law, Paul Manafort, who at the time was, I think, the campaign chairman. He's the guy that's now on trial for bank fraud or tax evasion in, in Virginia, and at least five other people, including a Russian lawyer. The meeting was arranged by a longtime Trump acquaintance, a guy named Rob Goldstone, on behalf of a client of his. All right, now, the meeting... At first Donald Trump Jr. at first he told the press that the meeting was held to discuss adoptions of Russian children by Americans all right um later on after news reports came out saying that he knew the meeting was political. He admitted in a tweet that he had agreed to the meeting with the understanding that he was going to be receiving information damaging to Hillary Clinton and that he was conducting opposition research. All right, What is opposition research? Opposition research is something that every campaign does or on its opponent. You go out, you try to find dirt on them. That, that's, that's what this is. All right, so... Apparently, what it was, was that this meeting, at least one of the purposes, was, hey, we've got stuff on Hillary Clinton that we want to share. So the, the meeting goes on, and ultimately nothing comes of this. So there, there's nothing, I think, that's actually shared, but they did, in fact, have this meeting. So then, once the press gets wind of this and starts pushing on it, it, it turns out That perhaps President Trump, after he was president, um, helped draft the initial statement that his son had made, being misleading or lying, whatever phrase you want to use, about this meeting. All right, so that's the whole bottom line. I think everybody pretty much agrees Number one, that whoever this Russian attorney was, was at least got the meeting by trying to pitch, hey, I've got dirt on Hillary Clinton. They didn't come through with any dirt on Hillary Clinton. Nothing came of it, but there was, in fact, this meeting. Well, this is back in the news because, you know, over the weekend, um, President Trump sends out another tweet. This is what he writes. Fake news reporting, a complete fabrication that I am concerned about the meeting my wonderful son Donald had in Trump Tower. There's a there's a story, I think it was in The Washington Post over the weekend that talks about how, despite some of the president's public bravado in private, he's concerned that members of his family are caught up in this whole thing. So anyhow, he sends out a tweet, fake news reporting, uh, fake news reporting, a complete fabrication that I am concerned about the meeting my wonderful son Donald had in Trump Tower. This was a meeting to get information on an opponent. Totally legal and done all the time in politics, and it went nowhere. Plus, I did not know about it. Now, what's I got this back in the news is it's now, I think to the extent there was any question, it's now an acknowledgement by the President that this wasn't about trying to arrange adoptions for Russian kids. This was a meeting to get information on Hillary Clinton. And he continues to say he, he knew nothing about it. Now, can Admittedly, I, since nothing was done, I, I don't think I don't think it's a crime if he knew about it or, or didn't. But this is something that's being seized on by by the Trump op, the Trump opposition. Say, hey, this is now the smoking gun. He is now admitted that his campaign was involved in collusion or a conspiracy or whatever term you want to use with the Russian government. And the fact, the fact that nothing came of this should not make any difference. All right. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. I want to put the legalities aside. Like I say, I, I think, I think this would be a tough prosecution. Uh, Just a tough prosecution, even if they were able to find that there was, that the campaign had accepted information and acted on it. If it didn't, I, I just, I don't see the statute, the criminal statute that's violated. But, again, maybe some aggressive prosecutor will disagree. But I want to talk about the larger question. And that is, all right, we are now, this is a meeting that occurred in July of 2016. We are now two years and 2 months past this i mean seriously i mean it's june july august you know tomorrow's going to be august 9th this was june 9th 2016 this happened 2 years and 2 months ago almost to the day do you care about this meeting 4147991620 is it time to put this whole thing to bed and move on or is this the smoking gun? Is this the thing? We've got to impeach President Trump. This is going to bring down the Trump administration. Do you care? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are back to discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 117, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 119, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. i got a text here. What's a little bit of treason? An obstruction of justice among friends. But okay, I, I, I understand the Trump haters out there. You, you got to ratchet this down. <laughs> nobody is treason's a tough word to throw around, and nobody is suggesting that this meeting. Uh, that was pitched as here, you know, we've got, you might, might, we might have some dirt about Hillary Clinton rises to the level of treason and people who throw that word around just make themselves look like buffoons, which isn't to say that there might not be concerns about this. But my question is, all right, do do you care about this? Is this, this Russian meeting, the smoking gun? Are we going to, should we push for impeachment of the president over this? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Sarah in Milwaukee. Sarah, good afternoon.
3: Hi, Jeff. Hi, Sarah. Um, I know you used to say reasonable people can disagree, but it's hard to be reasonable about Donald Trump. Um, he's told so many lies, and he continues to tell so many lies. No one knows what the truth is, whether it's about what he ate for dinner or what he did with Russia. Um I think so, what do,
0: you think they, should ha- what do you think should happen? Do you think he should be impeached?
3: If they find him guilty.
0: Well, okay. Do you think he should be criminally charged? Well, I mean, if, if he's convicted of a felony, yeah, that, that's going to happen. I mean, do you think? Do you think he's a crook? You, th- you said he's a liar. Oh, do you think I I he's think a crook? He's
1: a
3: snake oil salesman, <laughs> and I think okay. he's a the well, country. Um, and, and I wish. That was a crime, because it's just doing terrible things to our nation. Our nation. <laughs> and I think um, he, thanks he for the call. It's that he was full of hot air before you
0: well, well, thanks for the call, Sarah. I mean, I, I guess here, here's the thing. I mean, full of hot air and a snake oil salesman and all this type of stuff – yeah, I, I mean, but that's that's not a crime. I mean, people would argue maybe that that's kind of Bill Clinton was full of hot air and a snake oil salesman and that type of stuff. That that's not a crime. and It's not I- impeachable. Um, you know, did he? Does he divide the country? Well, he probably does. But people could argue Barack Obama was divisive to a different group of people than that. I, I guess the, the question, you know, really becomes. Uh, where do we go from here? Because I don't think you're going to get much more information about this. You know, I think we pretty much know, you know, what ended up happening. Is this impeachable? Should he be impeached? Do people care? 414-799-1620, Dan and McGuanago. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
1: Hi, Jeff. i um, you're forgetting Hi, the yeah. dynamic that changes everything here. The FBI approached this campaign before this meeting and warned them. Of foreign interference, including Russia, that would maybe try to interfere with their um, campaign, and to if that would happen, to alert the FBI. And uh, they sure didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't they?
0: The um, I I don't I don't know. I mean, my guess is. They didn't think that this was Russia trying to collude with this. I don't know. Do you, do you think he committed a crime?
1: Um, I don't know. Do you know think it's a, it's a crime? Whole, another investigation over I mean, this meeting is just one little piece of a big puzzle. I think the Helsinki, his performance in Helsinki, and I voted for the man, and I'm terribly, right. terribly disappointed about um, how he performed in Helsinki. There's something wrong there. Two and two does not add up to four when it comes to Trump and his performance in Helsinki. Something's wrong, Jeff. And, and uh, I, I, from being a former
0: prosecutor, I'm surprised you can't smell it or feel it. Well, I mean, th- thanks to call I'll tell you what I. I guess I just th- thanks to God. I, I mean, I will tell you what my assessment You're is. Is as a, as a former prosecutor. I. I haven't seen any evidence of what I believe is criminality. I, as people remember back then, I, I Donald Trump was not my first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh choice. Now that's different from saying that it's it's a crime. And I guess I've been trying to look at all these type of things and candidly, I understand there's speculation. I, I understand that I mean gee, I, I remember back in the Clinton days when you had people on the right who were talking about, oh, was Vince Foster's really a suicide, was all this type of stuff. And I think it's really easy to kind of go down some rabbit holes. I think the operatives at the Trump campaign were extremely inexperienced, and they probably, for example, when somebody from the Russian government reaches out like this, or on or some Russian attorney reaches out, I, I think the answer should have been like Nancy Reagan said to drugs in nineteen eighty nineteen, you know, the nineteen eighties. Just say no. I, I think that should have been the lesson. President Trump says anybody would have taken opposition research if it was offered. You know, if somebody calls up and says. Do you have dirt on them. And and there's an element of truth to that. I mean, the reality is if somebody calls the Leah Vukmir campaign today and says, I've got this smoking gun on Kevin Nicholson, or somebody calls the Kevin Nicholson campaign and says, I've got this stuff that nobody knows about Leah Vukmir, my guess is some operative is going to take the meeting. And that's, I think, just the, that is the truth. If somebody calls the Tammy Baldwin campaign and says, I've got this information about Nicholson that you should see, they'll probably have some meeting on it. Now, the fact that if they knew that this was coming from the Russian government that i think should have been a red flag does that mean it's criminal ah does it mean it's impeachable probably not especially since they didn't act on it but is it unbecoming yeah 414-799-1620 let's talk to um larry in greenfield larry you're on wtmj good afternoon
2: hey
1: good afternoon jeff this is a real real nice topic we're, we're discussing and no i don't think it raises to the level of collusion i'm just concerned about the conspiracy of why Russia wanted to contribute to the Trump campaign. Mm -hmm. Let's keep investing. Why do you think? Why do you think? Why do I think? There's got to be an advantage for them to contribute. What's their investment to get from having Trump in office? And no one seems to want to answer why Russia, even Vladimir Putin said, In the Helsinki, uh, meeting, hey, I want Trump. Why? Why do you want Trump? Well, I mean, I'll give you my answer,
0: Larry. I I mean, I... I think, I mean, I think Russia had worked with Hillary Clinton and uh, did not feel that they were going to be able to make inroads with Hillary Clinton. I, thought, I think they figured that Trump would be more likely to perhaps ease sanctions, that, that Trump would be more open to trying to develop a better relationship than than, than Clinton. And, and by the way, that, that in and of itself isn't a crime. I mean, you know, that's did, yeah. you, you have that happen all the time, you know. You know, I, I suspect that the next person who runs, whoever runs against Donald Trump for two years from now, they're going to argue, hey, vote for me. I'm going to be able to develop better relations with all these different countries than Trump had. I, I, so, I, I mean, but, I'm pretty sure that's what was going on.
1: But, but, Jeff, I'm not saying it raises to the level of uh, sure. criminality. I'm saying it raises to a level of conspiracy, because why would you lie about a meeting to say it was this and then... Later yeah. on, you say, "Nah, it was it was really about getting some dirt on Hillary. Why did you have to lie about it?" So yeah, that, well, that does no, an... later. So keep well, right
0: uh, no. thanks for the call Larry no and I, I don't I mean I I, I understand it's when, when you say look I'm, I'm not defending lying and I'm, I'm just I, I'm not I understand when you say okay why why do you lie about this I my whole point was why do you take the meeting in the first place alright why do you have the one night stand with, uh, with uh, the with the the pornographic film actress you know why, why do you do all these different types of things and then why do you arrange this complicated hush money type of payment I mean it's it, it's, my experience has been if you play it straight generally speaking life ends up getting a lot simpler i here here's the the bottom line of this i I think President Trump would be well-served, candidly, if he stopped tweeting about all this stuff and stopped sending his lawyers out. Now, obviously, his strategy is we're going to try to undermine the investigation, we're going to be aggressive about this, and we're going to play to our base. I think the sooner this thing is over, regardless of where it leads... And the sooner we as a country can move on, the better that is. If, if that means there's criminal charges against people associated with the Trump campaign beyond the ones that are already in charge, fine. I, I think bring those charges. If it means ultimately that they decide there's nothing, that's fine. I think it is important, though, keeping in mind, for example, this meeting happened over two years ago. It's important for this country one way or the other to move on because what's going on and this obsession with Russia and what happened to it a half years ago isn't good for the country, and I'm talking about there's a lot of blame to go around, whether it's the media's obsession with it, whether it's the Trump haters' obsession with it, or whether it's the president's obsession with it. 129, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, we're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. 136, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us this afternoon. Let's see. Tomorrow marks one week until Wisconsin heads to the polls. What do you need to know before the August 14th primary election? Gene Miller has a preview. 721 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. Let me remind you again, um, because on primary day, there is always confusion. In Wisconsin, you do not have to register as either a Republican or a Democrat. We have what is called an open primary. You can vote in any primary you choose But, you can't flip-flop back and forth between primaries. So, if you decide you want to vote in the Republican primary, you want to vote between, uh, cast a vote for either Kevin Nicholson or Leah Vukmir, who are running, um, for the right to challenge Tammy Baldwin in the U.S. Senate seat, you can do that. You, you can even be a Democrat. You can even be somebody who voted for Hillary Clinton. You can go in and you can say, I want to vote in the Republican primary. They will give you a ballot. But if you vote in the Republican primary, say for Senate, you're going to you can't then if you, for example, live in Milwaukee County, you can't flip back and say, well, I also I live in Milwaukee County. I want to vote in the Democratic primary for county sheriff and there's no Republican on the ballot in November. So effectively, whoever wins the primary election next Tuesday in Milwaukee County is going to be the next sheriff. You could even if you are a diehard Republican. And this is one of the things that helped get David Clark elected time after time. You could go in, you can say, I want to vote in the Democratic primary. And if you live in Waukee County, they'd give you a Democratic primary ballot, but then you couldn't vote in the Republican primary. So just be aware that you do have to make some choices. You can't flip flop back and forth. All right. I don't want to get I don't want to get lost in numbers here, but let me try to make this this simple. The social security system that all of us who work, pay into in the form of payroll taxes, is in a, a mess. I, I know pretty probably everybody realizes this now, but maybe you get statements from the Social Security Administration every year saying, okay, this is your account, and if you continue earning this much, this is your projected thing. When you turn 62, this is how much you can get. When you turn 65, this is how much you can get. When you turn 70, this is how much you can get. Everybody gets that. What you might not understand is you don't have a bank account. It's not like you have a personal checking or savings account with money in it waiting for you. The way Social Security works is the people pay into it, people work who pay into it now and Then what happens is when you're eligible for Social Security, you draw from that. But it's not like there's this huge pool of money and some of it's earmarked for you. What happens is the people that pay in, and that's used to pay current benefits. All right, That's kind of how it works. It is that letter you get from the Social Security Administration is a promise to pay. Well, the problem is Social Security, of course, was created decades and decades and decades ago. People are living longer. People are retiring more frequently, and there's a lot more people drawing Social Security now than there were. There's also fewer people paying into Social Security. So here are these numbers. Okay, and just for, for 2017, alright, for last year, um, Social Security paid out about $952 billion in benefits to retirees. right. I'm not talking about let's not even talk about disability. So about nine hundred and fifty two billion in benefits went out. Social security took in nine hundred and eleven billion. So social security paid out more than it took in. Now this isn't as much of a problem because the, this this money that Social Security currently has in reserves. they, they drew about85 billion dollars in interest. So actually they paid out 952. They took in 9, 911 and they had an extra 85. So by the time you count interest and the money they took in, Social Security still took in more money than it paid out. All right? Um, 174 million people paid payroll taxes. Fifty-one million people were retired and drew. Right? so right now, twenty seventeen, last year, you still have more money coming in with interest once you conclude the interest than is going out, and you have more people paying in than are retired. All right, that's all good. The problem, though, is that. The dynamic is changing and the people estimate that next year will be the first year where even including interest, Social Security pays out more than it has coming in. Well, they're able to get away with this and will be able to get away with it for a while because Social Security has a reserve, money that they've built up and accumulated over the years of about $3 trillion. And that's where like, they earn their interest and things like that. But let's do the math. If you are spending more than you are taking in, just think about it in your own home. All right, you, you spend one hundred thousand dollars, you take in seventy five. All right, you're running a twenty five thousand dollars deficit. Let's say you're going to you know live on your savings to make up the difference. That's all well and good, but sooner or later, if you keep doing that, your savings are going to run out. And the estimates are that by twenty thirty four, about sixteen years from now, Social Security will have depleted all. All these extra money that they have, the money they've got sitting around drawing interest. And at that point in time, they won't have enough money coming in to pay off the benefits that are going out. So, so security becomes, goes underwater. So, this is what everybody's wrestling with. How do you secure the long term I don't know, long-term, how do you keep Social Security going? Well, one of the things that they're considering is maybe, I don't know, cutting back, cutting back the amount of money that people collect. You know, you cut it for, you cut the amount of money that people are getting their Social Security checks by 25%, you make the pot last longer. Right. Another thing that they are considering is increasing the payroll taxes that people pay. Right now, there is a limit. You you only pay Social Security tax on the first, I want to say one hundred and twelve thousand dollars of income. It, it might be a little bit higher, but a- after that, you you don't. You don't pay anymore. So some people are suggesting, well, let's raise the taxes. If you're making $200,000, you should pay your Social Security tax on that full 200000 We shouldn't cap it. A third idea that's out there is something called means testing. And when we come back in two minutes, I'm going to tell you what means testing is. I'm going to tell you what one candidate for Wisconsin Senate, State U.S. Senate has thrown out. And then we're going to discuss whether that's a good idea. Stick around. It's 144. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, all right, so Social Security is going to run out of money at some point in time in the next 15 years. Different ideas being floated around, reducing the amount of Social Security payments, increasing the Social Security tax, raising the age that you could qualify for Social Security, and then this concept of means testing. And this is one that apparently Kevin Nicholson, who's running for U.S. Senate, he gives an interview says he's kind of open to that. So what is means testing? Well, for most government benefit programs you have to qualify in order to get food stamps or whatever they call food stamps now you you have to be below a certain income threshold in order to get other forms of economic assistance you have to be below a certain income threshold social security isn't like that social security Benefits are available to anyone who has paid into the system and who meets work and age requirements. It's regardless of any other income, investment, pension, savings, you get in addition to Social Security benefits. So, all right, the, the idea being, all right, you've paid into Social Security all your life. You've perhaps aggressively saved, let's say over the course of, of a lifetime, you and your spouse, you have funded your 401k plans, you've foregone, vac- foregone vacations or whatever, and you've amassed a decent-sized nest egg. Let, let, let's say you've got a million dollars. Let, let's say you've got half a million or a million dollars. You, you've You've saved that over the course of a lifetime. And then you retire, and you say, okay, well, now it's time to collect Social Security, and I'm you know i'm it's not going to my social security isn't going to be enough for me to fully live on i'm going to supplement it by all this money i've got in the bank but but yeah i'm going to draw down on that so let's say you start doing that well means testing would say all right bill you and your wife have saved a million bucks all right. And you, you that, that's great. But, you know, you've got a million bucks. And so we don't think you need Social Security. So all that money that you've paid in, you can't collect or you can't collect the full amount because there's other people that need it more. So because you have means, because you've saved all your life, you've planned Maybe you've had some success financially and stuff, but you've accumulated this money. So despite what we have promised you over the years, we've now decided you don't need it, so we're not going to give it to you. That would, of course, if you eliminate people who have substantial nest eggs. And by the way, the vast majority of people who get caught up in this aren't going to be the idle rich, the people who've inherited daddy's money. The vast majority of people are going to be people that worked their entire life and put money away and have amassed money in their 401k plans or whatever who have always thought, hey, I've paid into Social Security for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, whatever. Now it's time to collect. But we're considering telling them, no, well, you, you've been too successful otherwise. You don't need the dough, so we're not going to give you the dough. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Now, I bring this up again because Republican Senate candidate Kevin um, Nicholson, he's uh, floated the idea of means testing, for Social Security for those above a certain income threshold, and generally speaking, Nicholson doesn't mention the number. But when you look at when you look at this, typically it's around hundred thousand dollars. If you're pulling out hundred thousand dollars in pension income or investment income, if you're pulling that out, that's pretty much where the people who propose means testing come in and say, "Okay, well, you don't need Social Security, so we're not going to pay you it." Um, Nicholson story I'm looking at says we should look at the Prospect of means testing Social Security for those that are not already receiving it or close to receiving it. That's a totally reasonable answer. Maybe means testing looks like you get out of Social Security literally to the dollar what you put into it. That's the way to keep this thing solvent. Okay, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Well, I mean, yes, I guess on the one hand, not paying money that has been promised to people who have been putting money into a system for their entire life. Yeah, I guess that's that's one way of preserving a system. But is that right? Is that appropriate? And merely by virtue of the fact that you have amassed a bunch of money is that a justification for saying we're not going to pay you benefits that we promised paying you when you started working in 1975 or 1980 4147991620 now don't get me wrong if they if social security would have allowed people to opt out in the beginning well i would have no problem but if you have been paying social security on the idea that you're going to collect it all right is it fair to now say if you've saved other money you don't get your share 414- 14799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 140-140. 152, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 154, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, whenever you hear politicians talk about means testing, that that's that's nothing more than a let's redistribute income means testing would essentially say if you have if you've accumulated x amount of money over the course of your lifetime you've saved you put money into a retirement account you've got a good pension coming in and you want to have a certain quality of life in your retired years if you draw out more than x amount of money well then you're not going to qualify for social security even though you've been paying into social security for the last 4 decades to me that is a non-starter and with all due respect i think republican senate candidate kevin nicholson is dead wrong to talk about means testing that's something you hear from a lot of the class warriors let's start with don in beaver dam don you're on wtmj
2: hi hey. yeah hi, don. I i'm going along with you because it's going to negatively negatively affect so many people that you know, it is. It's a redistribution of the money that we put in for 40, 45 years. And then for us to be told, even though we were responsibly saving, like we've always been taught, and now we get nothing.
3: Right. Well,
0: right. Well, but don't you understand, Don, that's because you don't need it. it. doesn't matter if you put the money in. You You don't need it because you've saved other money otherwise. You've, you've foregone vacations or maybe delayed getting that car or didn't put braces on your kid's teeth or whatever to try to save for your retirement. But now you've been so successful, successful doing that. You don't need that money. Somebody else needs that money more than you, Don.
2: But that's the argument that the Democrats love to take. Love to take. And right. What what the reality is is that the the system in itself is coming to an end. Where normal people like you and I that are responsible mm-hmm. financially will end up paying for everything, and right. that right. that will that will just destroy this country as we as we know it.
0: Okay, and thanks Nicole. call, I appreciate. It. Look, if, if I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. If 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 somebody look, if somebody had given me the option 30 years ago of saying, "Look, Jeff, I tell you what, we're we'll we'll let you worry about it yourself. We're not going to take Social Security tax out of your check. We're not going to have you know your late wife have to pay Social Security. We're not going to have your current wife having to pay Social Security." and you're going to be on your own. All right, I I would have taken that bet, maybe. I I don't know. Maybe I would have taken it, maybe I didn't. But I've been paying money into this system um, on this promise that, all right, this is the calculation and this is the money you are going to get out. To even consider saying to people, all right, we promised you this, but now because you have too much other money. And like I say, they say, well, why do millionaires and billionaires need this? Well, most of the so-called millionaires that are going to be caught up in this aren't the people, the Chris Ableys of the world inherited a bunch of money, it's going to be people who've saved their entire life recognizing that you know they want to have a, a good level of retirement and have part of that retirement is predicated on the social security payments that they're going to get. I mean, I just, look, I, to me, means testing, again, it's the classic example of class warfare. I think it's a complete and total non-starter. All right, I'm sorry, I'm right against, up against the clock. I'm, I'm going to carry this over the top of the hour. We've got full phone lines on this. One or two people will drop off, but if you want to wade in, social security is a big deal. I understand maybe 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 if you're 25 or 30, you're sitting there saying, oh, I don't care about that. That's way off. Well, no, it's It's a big deal because you're paying money into this system now. And the question becomes, what is our promise to you on the other end? And I think one of the current promises, the people who've been paying into Social Security, whether you're 60 or 50 or 40, is that you're going to get the money that we promised you out of this. All right, we continue the conversation next. It's 158. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 208 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from the state fair. So, Grew, who's back at the studio producing the show today and always. The um, Journal Sentinel has a story. Slow start with Brewers hasn't discouraged Jonathan Scope. Um, it, it, the name is spelled S-C-H-O-O-P, but they pronounce it Scope. Don't know why. He's the second baseman from Baltimore that the Brewers brought in. It's good to know that he's not discouraged. They brought him in in his trade. Um, <laughs> And I, th- th- this weekend, when I was in Canton, Ohio, with my friend Evan. We were also joined by Evan's former college roommate, who's a lawyer in Baltimore, and his son, who's an ant policy analyst for the Federal Reserve. I mean, man, you talk about smart kid! Um, but they're they're Baltimore Orioles fans, and they were saying, "Oh yeah, well you've got uh, you've got scope. How's he doing?" And um, he joins the team. He's has been in five games. He's two for twenty one. 10 strikeouts no extra base hits and two errors one which is extremely costly he's grounded a double plays in general he's stunk there's just no way to say it. I mean he's just absolutely stunk um, the headline says he's not discouraged I'm not sure so grew are you discouraged by his play so far not yet he'll find it well I guess my, I keep saying he's got to get better. He can't be this bad for this long, and so maybe he's saving this for a little bit later on, but we actually that's kind of it was sort of the running thing this weekend because these two guys from Baltimore were I said, well you've got Jonathan VR, and, and vr has got his own set of issues as well, but um, Scope says he's not discouraged by the fact that he's just been well, my words, absolutely terrible since coming to Milwaukee hopefully he will be able to turn it round And we will all be celebrating it, it speaking of that, I want to start off with a relatively a relatively difficult and sensitive topic, as I said, I was at the, the Jerry Kramer the Hall of Fame thing in, in Canton, Ohio, and we were um, they, they bring back if you watched it on the NFL network or whatever, you saw the speeches that the players who went in had, but before that they spent about thirty minutes they had a, a large number of former Inductees who, who came back, so they and they put them all up on stage, and it's interesting. And they had uh, just a, a number of people: some that you'd heard of, some from older older players, some younger players. But it was it was interesting. And I, I, the one that I, I really, I mean, Paul Horning and Jim Taylor from the Packers glory days were there. But uh, Jim Brown, arguably the, the greatest. Football player in in history, uh, you know, running back for the Cleveland Browns. You know, Jim Brown w- was there, and it's just I, I was I was thinking about this as I was also going through the the Hall of Fame in Canton because they, they had several sections devoted to the the integration of football and really focusing on a number of the first African American players that started playing football. And you really, you, if you you go through this, you understand how difficult it was for for so many of these players to break the color barrier like Jackie Robinson in baseball and the, the Jim Browns of the world in football and you can only imagine what it must have been like to have to go through the I, I mean just the, the, the racism and the, the pressures of the, the segregated system and stuff and how hard it, it must be for them and it was interesting because a couple of the African American players who were going in actually singled out guys like Jim Brown and and thanked them for laying the groundwork for them moving on. And I just I, I just I I just I so much appreciated that and appreciated again the the things that so many of these people might have had to go through, which now brings me to what I want to discuss with you. There, you know, is is a word, you know, that's candidly, I, I think many of us believe just doesn't belong in, in society, and that is the N-word. Just we, we just don't believe it belongs in society. And if you think back uh, to like these great players, and, and you knew the hate that was associated with that word, and the way it was directed at them, I would think most of them would agree it doesn't belong in society as well. Well, unfortunately, it is a term which not only has it not disappeared from society, but it gets used a lot In society, too, especially by young black men and particularly by rap performers, it that word is sort of a staple of rap performances. And, And here's where it really gets interesting. There are, this summer and in other summers now, there are an increasing number of these, these music festivals that are going on. Um, you've got events like South by Southwest in Texas and Coachella, and you've got the Lollapalooza thing, which is going on in Chicago. And it's these, the audiences, the, the crowds are predominantly white. But, as these events have expanded what 's happened is that they 've reached out to different genres, so you have more rap musicians and stuff that are performing to crowds that are largely white all right so here 's the story and it, it really it caught my attention. It appears in the Chicago Tribune. With Lollapalooza upon us, it's a story by William Lee, who's an African-American columnist. With Lollapalooza upon us, this marks the start of an awkward yet delicate dance familiar to white rap music fans. At those pivotal festival moments... When the cool, swaggering young rapper dips his mic towards the audience members in a gesture for them to finish the verse, white patrons have an important decision to make. Do they repeat the verse that contains the most vilified word of our time or quickly mumble it and avoid an awkward moment with any black mans? By it, of course, I'm talking about the conversation-killing word. Lately, the topic has gotten a lot of attention as hip hop acts continue to diversify the largely white musical festival circuit at these various events. Um, let's see. There's Then they go on to a story about how this word brought May's Hangout Festival in Alabama to a screeching halt when a young white fan dropped the N-word while rapping on stage with Kendrick Lamar during a set of his hit... And then, you know, whatever. And so there's there's a white fan that's on the stage. Apparently he's got people that are up there and they're singing slash rapping along with the tune. You get to that point in the song, the rap, whatever, where that word is used. She's a white woman and she just recites the lyric. And then it's created this huge controversy. So what do you do? Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage. Talk and text line. All right, I admit, I go to a lot of concerts. I, unfortunately, for people who are around me, I choose to sing along from time to time. Well, you know, if you go to a Jimmy Buffett concert and you've been to as many as I've been at, you know all the words to all the songs. My guess is the same thing is true for people who go to performances from some of their favorite rap artists. So, all right, what do you do? You are the white audience member. You are singing along. You are rapping along. You come to that spot where that horrible, horrible word is in the lyric. All right, do you mumble it? Do you not say it? Do you go ahead, hey, it's the song lyric. You are singing along. How do you handle situations like this? And does it perhaps, does the controversy perhaps raise that larger question about why that word gets thrown around so much in these types of settings. Would it pa- perhaps be best if we could agree, white, black, green, brown, that maybe that word should disappear from everybody's vocabulary? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Can you sing along with the rap performer if it involves mentioning that particular word? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1216 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 19, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Wisconsin State Fair is here, and we are your home for all things food, livestock, and music. Today's live broadcast from the State Fair grounds on the biggest stick in the state is sponsored by Global Healthcare. So glad to have you with us. This is now the, this this interesting phenomenon that as you have, for example, rap music and hip-hop music that relies, at least in part, on... I don't know, some offensive lyrics and use of language, which is inappropriate. So what happens? Now, as you have the artists who are crossing over into more of what I'm going to call the mainstream, and you have the people that are showing up at these concerts, including a largely white audience, and you've got the rapper that's on stage, and the rapper, he or she, is using language that I think most of us would agree would be inappropriate, including that word. Now, what do you do if you're in the crowd? Does that mean, well, you can't sing along to that rap? You can't sing along to that song because that word is in it? Now, my answer to that would be, yeah. I mean, I think it's inappropriate. But to me, this raises the larger issue that is out there about how there are certain words... That just don't belong in society and how you think back on how harmful, for example, the N word was when directed at people of a certain generation and to this day when it's used with that spirit of hatred and this idea that, okay, why is it that we're now tolerating this and why is it that in some areas it's acceptable? I think candidly, I think what's going to have to happen is you're going to have to have a consensus that arises, particularly among people who have had that word directed at them, that says this is just unacceptable. And yeah, I think it's, it's unacceptable for audiences to be singing along and using that word. I would also argue it's unacceptable for the rappers to be using that, and hopefully, hopefully they would be able to show a bit of discretion when they do it. Not counting on that though. It's 221, we're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. This is Jack- Jeff Wagner. It's two twenty-three. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. So I I admit I I got back last night from the Hall of Fame stuff, and I was around the house and I was preparing the show for today. And I I turned on baseball, and of course, nowadays, if you if you turn on ESPN, it's going to be the New York Yankees or the Boston Red Sox. That's and of course for ESPN games, there's no teams other than New York and Boston. Boston's having a great year. They just swept New York four games in a row. So there was a game last night, and it was it was so bad that. Even the announcers were talking about how the game was just crawling. So it ended up Boston was behind most of the game. They were behind four to one going into the ninth inning. They tied it up four to four in the bottom of the ninth, and then they won it in the tenth inning. All right, so they win it five to four. That's great. The, they ended up sweeping the series. But but here's the operative thing: the game started at. Eastern time. Okay, so 7.10 our time, right? That's what time it started. It ended four hours and 40 minutes later, meaning that if you were on the East Coast, 12.40, it was almost 1 a.m. before the game was over. Now, I understand it's summer. But I mean Sunday night is kind of a school night, and people have to get up and go to work It was so bad. I was clipping, and the you know even the announcers were mocking this i mean they they were talking about how long the pitchers were taking between pitches and and all the different pitching changes and all the different three two counts and stuff. look this to me is one of the huge issues that that baseball has and that is that the games are just too darn long. Four hours and forty minutes. Don't tell me it was a ten inning game. Okay, let's let's just say all right maybe they finished the regular nine innings and that's four hours and twenty minutes. That's just too long for the average fan. Okay, maybe some of the hardcore Red Sox fans or the hardcore Yankee fans, you know, lived and died on every pitch. But as far as trying to broaden baseball's appeal And expand it to an overall audience. You can't have games that are 4 hours and 39 minutes. That's longer. Then you know, a football game that goes into overtime or double overtime. The game was just almost impossible to watch, again, from a casual fan perspective. And I, I just, I did, I kept checking in, and the game wasn't moving. Oh, the game's in the third inning, the game's in the fifth inning, the game's in the seventh inning. Oh, it's 11 o'clock at night. It was just crawling. And I understand they've they've tried to do things with pitch counts and letting limiting the number of times that catchers can go out and talk to the pitchers and things like that. And I think that's all well and good. But the truth of the matter is, you know, you can play games like baseball. You can play quick. And I don't mean that you have to be rushing, but the best games are the ones that are played in like two, two and a half hours. That's one of the great things about, you know, for example, college basketball. You've got two, you know, halves. You know it's going to be about two hours and 20 minutes. I've told this story before, but I was in Las Vegas a little while back, and, I was with a couple from Great Britain, and they were talking about soccer. Now, I, I've become more of a soccer fan over the years, but they were saying the they just don't understand us in America. They said, you know, you, you Yanks, you're all so impatient. You know, you, you want stuff done, and yet you'll you'll sit and watch a football game that goes four hours, or in this case, a baseball game that goes four hours and 39 minutes. Now, that's the thing about soccer. At least, you know, you say it's boring, but at least it's over. You know, in two hours and 15 minutes, you can make plans. This game yesterday, and I understand some people might be talking about what a great one it was, that this game yesterday is one of the classic examples of, in my opinion, what is wrong with baseball, and that is that the thing just, you can't allow these games Drag this long. It's just not made for that. And you will lose fans. You will lose an entire generation of fans if you allow these games to be played at that kind of pace. People don't have that attention span. People have things to do with their lives. And especially if you want to watch it on TV or something, my guess is. My guess is they lost 90% of the audience outside of the New York and the Boston fans because people just wanted to see the darn thing end, and it seemed like it was never going to end. Four hours and 39 minutes. Hey, here's an interesting thing to think about. and When we come back um, after the bottom of the hour news, I want to talk to you about a, an interesting travel phenomena and see what you think about it. But before that, uh, there's we talked about this last week. Kimberly Clark is is threatening to close a number of facilities and move some of their jobs out of state. And one of the things the state is considering doing matter of fact the assembly has already approved legislation. The Assembly is considering, the state government is considering giving Foxconn type incentives to Kimberly Clark to keep about five hundred jobs in Wisconsin. Feel free to disagree with me, but I think this is a bad idea. I think the Foxconn situation was a -a one-of-a-kind thing that has the potential to be transformative. You're bringing new jobs into the area, maybe by the thousands. Every time an existing company threatens to move 100 or 200, or in this case, 500 jobs, I don't think the taxpayers can go in and give enormous incentives. And that's interesting what an Arkansas official is saying. There's another Kimberly-Clark plant that's scheduled to be closed in Arkansas. And apparently Kimberly-Clark's trying to go to the Arkansas government and say, hey, what's in it for us? And the Arkansas officials are saying, look, we we can't, you know, we, we want to keep our 350 jobs here, but, you know, we, we can't do what Wisconsin is doing. Wisconsin is going to be giving a 100 million dollars in tax incentives to preserve six hundred and ten jobs. He said we just can't flat out compete with that. So if that's serious and it goes through, you know, we're going to lose the Arkansas jobs. Now candidly, no disrespect to Arkansas, I'd rather have the jobs in Wisconsin. But at the same time I don't think that every time some business decides that it is going to close or go away with some jobs, that you can come in and you can give away $100 million in tax incentives. Foxconn, to me, was different. Foxconn was bringing new business into the state, not preserving existing business. And, while look, I don't want to see anybody lose their job, much less 500 people up in the Fox Valley. Bottom line of this is... million in tax incentives is an enormous amount of money, and candidly, I don't think the taxpayers can do it, because if you do it for Kimberly Clark, that means you're going to have to do it for everybody else that decides that they want a handout, or else they're going to close their plant and move it somewhere else. Just saying. 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Plenty of room out here. The rain has kept down the crowds, but Monday's always a great day, not that many lines. Casting Crowns with Matthew West are going to be performing on the main stage. I love the names of some of the bands that end up playing at State Fair. Um, Let's see, tonight, for example, you've got the Killer Clowns. Huh. Okay. Critic- and then, of course, earlier this afternoon, one of my favorite names for a band, I, I just sometime during the fair, I wish I'd get a chance to see them, Carrie the Monkey Boy and the Dancing Bear. I'm just wondering... Gee, are you going to be able to tell who Carrie is, who the monkey boy is, and who the dancing bear is? Just uh, just saying. So come on out to the Wisconsin State Fair. Always all sorts of stuff going on. All right. So the other day I was speaking to my wife, and we were talking about this upcoming winter, and we were discussing potential vacation plans. We went to Key West last February, had an absolutely great time. I would love to go back there. She has a trip that she's made with some of her girlfriends every year for decades, you know, down to the, um, Gulf side of Florida. We have a number of friends who live in Arizona, who've been kind enough to invite us to come out and hang out at their place for a few days and chase golf balls through the Arizona sun, All, all sorts of like great, great options. And so we were talking about different places, you know, to go, especially to get out of the Wisconsin cold and, one of the things that I brought up is I said, well, you know, do you think you'd have any interest in going to Mexico? And the response was, eh, no, probably not really. And actually, there were a couple of our friends around as well. And they, the general consensus was, well, no, I, I don't want to go back to Mexico. We've been to Mexico. Don't want to go. And I said, why? And the, the response was, well, you know, there's been all these stories out there about these things that have happened to, you know, tourists, the Blackout of tourists the fact that you know maybe what's going on is you have some of these people that are drugging particularly american tourists and they're robbing them and things like that and you know bad stuff happening there was a horrible story about the young woman from wisconsin who ended up drowning all those things and and a number of my friends were saying well i don't think we'd go back to mexico and and you know given the whole Range of different choices that are out there. I kind of understand that. So it was interesting story over the weekend in the uh, local newspaper. Airlines are trimming their flights to Mexican resort areas, and they say that the problem is that demand is, is softening. I mean, obviously, airlines are a supply and demand industry, and they're going to go where people want to go. And if there's not that many people, for example, that want to go to some of these Mexican resort areas, well, okay, there's not as need for as many planes. And so the story is about how the they're either reducing, airlines are either reducing service or are considering reducing service to some of the Mexican resort areas. And I, I think despite the fact that Mexican tourism officials insist that the resort areas are, are safe, more and more people are simply making this decision that, you know, we're – we're not comfortable going. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text line. I, I have to say that Mexico and the Mexican resorts have, have never been on the top of my list. And we're talking about you know Cancun and the places along the Riviera Maya. That that's just never been on the top of of my list as far as places to go. But I know there's a number of people who've traveled there and traveled there regularly. You know, made it a, a regular stop. I think one of the things that's going on is these reports that have been out there now for about a year of all the problems with the tourists and people being drugged and some of the attendant violence. I I think that's having an effect. You're starting to see that tangibly with these stories about the airlines cutting back flights. But I thought it would be worth discussion. So here's my question to you. Are you less likely to go to a vacation resort in Mexico now than, say, you would have been a year or two ago because of all the different reports of the problems. Now, statistically, it's a small number. But, of course, if you're that one person, it's going to be a big deal. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I guess the follow-up to this would also then be, you know, what is it that the Mexican Tourism Agency can do, if anything, to kind of turn this around? Because I will tell you, I would fit into the yes category. I am a lot less likely to, when I'm choosing where to go on vacation, if I'm looking for a warm weather spot, I don't think Mexico is on my radar screen anymore. 414-799-1620, are you less likely to go? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 240. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. 243. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. All right. This is not surprising to me. Airlines are saying, you know, the demand for travel to Mexico, particularly the Mexican resorts, is just – it's falling off the table. So we're cutting back flights, which raises the question, is this a reasonable thing? Would would you be – would you be less inclined to, because of all these stories out in the last year about tourists getting drugged and things like that, you less likely to go to Mexico? And my my answer is, you know, I, I think that's never been on the highlight, the top of my vacation list, but I'd have to do a lot of thinking, candidly, before I went to one. Let's start with Dave and Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
2: Hey, Jeff. How you doing?
1: Hey um, Good. What do you no, think? Uh, no way. I mean, we... I used to go down there, you know, occasionally. We used to go to Cancun and, you know, some of the major tourist spots. And, right. And uh, having uh, good up, we have relatives down right on the border or whatever. It's just, there's no way. It's, it's too unpredictable. I have more fun in Jamaica. it be perfectly boring. Mm-hmm. Which is like a third right. world country. When you think about it, people been down.
0: There. Yeah, but not if you leave. I mean, as long as you stay on some of the resorts. You know I mean? Yeah, I, I think yeah. it's, it's safe. You, if stay, we, you stay on the resorts and the weather's great. Sure.
2: Yeah, but it's just you know what? It's
1: not, it's not, it's not worth it for me to to even take the risk because it's just it's too sketchy down there. I mean, really, right? Um, well
0: no, no thanks thanks the call I appreciate it See, I, and I I will tell you that's you know a couple of things that really caught my attention about this was was number 1 the fact that this had apparently you know been going on for quite a while the the, the drugging of the tourists and there appears to be appeared to have been kind of a conspiracy of silence to stop people from knowing about it which uh, again makes me wonder about how widespread this problem really was number 2 uh, there's there, there's a myriad. There's all sorts of different places that that you can go and spend your vacation dollars on. So it's kind of like why why would you why would you do this? Now I have one friend a couple. They they went to Mexico for years and years. He would go back, she says there's just no way. There's just no way I'm going to go back. And I do think that's one of the realities that the tourist officials are addressing. And you can say all you want. Well, things are safe. Things are safe. We've got this under control. But as long as these stories keep coming out, it does make you wonder. Let's Talk to Pete in Appleton. Pete, you're on WTMJ.
4: Hi, Jeff. Um, Hi, Pete. We went to we went to uh, Apple. We went to Mexico uh. the last five win, uh, winters in a row for five for a week at a time, and last year changed our plans. And uh, for the very topic you're talking about. Um, we were concerned about the crime. We were concerned about the alcohol thing, not that we're big drinkers at all, uh, but we're, we're casual drinkers, and we just didn't want to be involved with any of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were very disappointed. We ended up going to Florida. We had a great week, uh, enjoyed ourselves. It was really fun, but we kept thinking, boy, I wish we were in Mexico, and we are going again next winter. We decided we're- oh, let's see, that was going to
0: be my question. So Mike, you're, 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 that was going to be a question. You are going to go back to Mexico this year, so you decided yeah, that we really love the place, so we're heading back.
4: Right, we we're, we're going. We we go to different places all the time, so it's it's not. We don't have a consistent uh, area, but we are going to a, a new area this year. We're going to Cabo. Uh, Haven't been there before, and uh, we're actually going. And uh, we have not seen much of that in the news, so we felt comfortable going. And my wife and I are on the same page.
0: Outstanding. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I'm sure you'll have a great time. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, there's no right or wrong to this discussion. It's just it's a question of, of how people are feeling. And perhaps unsurprisingly, one of the things that you're now starting to see is that at least enough people are voting with their pocketbook and making the decision that they're not buying plane tickets, that the plane companies are, are cutting back the flights. Steve in Green Bay. Hi, Steve. You're on WTMJ. Jim in New Berlin. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
4: Hi. Yeah, I we've been down there a number of times different you know levels of resorts and um we always kind of felt if you're you're, if you're not setting yourself up to be in a bad situation and you're not sitting at the bar all day long you're probably not going to have some of the problems on those resorts that that you hear about even though it's in your mind and i would be considering going somewhere else possibly the bigger Big problem they have down there right now is the seaweed is almost choking everything. On you can't even walk on the beaches without that.
0: So yeah, you've got, got that. You've got thing. the travel. You've got the safety concerns, and then you've got this other stuff that's going on as well. Yeah, yeah
4: it's, it's just not as pretty as it was. You know.
0: Okay, so are you are you going? Would you so are you going to go back?
4: I would go. I would go back if they, if they, if they figure out something to do with the seaweed.
0: Got it. Okay, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. four one four four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Now again, I, I'm certainly not. I'm not doing this topic to discourage people from going. I just thought it was interesting. Now that these numbers are coming out, showing that obviously airplane travel is down as a result of people making the decision themselves not to go. And I'm I'm not I'm not surprised by that at all. Lamar in Orlando, Lamar, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
4: Thanks for taking my call, Jeff. Um,
1: yes, sir. I was actually down in, I was just actually down in Mexico, in Cancun, uh, a couple of weeks ago for a wedding. And I had a blast uh, down there. Mm-hmm. Of course I, you know, I keep my ears the down as far as the news has done. But having been to other countries, as long as that I, was, at least I was considered
4: more sketchy than Mexico, you know, if, 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 if there is a comparison, as
1: long as you're on the road, I don't know what the issue is. I really don't. It, we had a great time a entertainment. If you're staying on the beach. You're sort of really and I don't see what issue that you're running in Mexico that we wouldn't run into, say, if you were American America In all places.
0: You know, all places, places. Right. Lamar, yeah, thanks for calling. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm your, your, phone, your phone's breaking up. A, I'm sorry. Your phone's kind of breaking up a little. Um, here's, at least the way I'm hearing it. Here, Here's the – here, I mean, here's what I think – was scary about these reports. The, the reports that were coming out were things that were happening on the resorts, or in the, the resorts. I, I mean, obviously, there, there's all sorts of places that you go, and there's going to be bad areas that you you can go into. Um, you know, you go, you look. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, Rio, Jamaica, you know, Mexico. You you go off the resorts. I mean, all those things, and that's true in the United States as well. I mean, you can say, well. You know, you go into certain parts of Chicago, you go into certain parts of Milwaukee, you go in certain parts of New Orleans, you go into certain parts of Miami, and you're in high crime areas. And that's always been the case. But I think the basic premise has been you, you go to Mexico, you stay even if you stay on in these all inclusive resorts, you're gonna be okay. And what these reports have been, and this is the problem they have, is these problems have been on the resorts. These problems have been situations where you have People who, you know, are, are on the resorts and they've cut deals with some folks and you've got the bad liquor that's being distributed and all that. That's what I think is really kind of hitting home. Not necessarily the idea that, well, if you go off the resort and you go into the town area, again, you, you, you could run into trouble, which is something I think people have always realized. Now, what really hit home here is it was on the resorts themselves. Four one four Let's talk to Scott in Waukesha. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
1: Hey, Jeff. Good afternoon. You know, I think part Hi, of the discussion also is that there are numerous reports that a lot of these hotels are owned and run by the cartel. And I think that's also a game changer for me and a reason not to go also. This has been going on for years. And when the cartel is a huge influence in this area, I think that's also part of the tourist experience that I don't want to be part of.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think that that's probably something that's playing in as well. No, thank, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I think this is, this is a real Problem. Um, this is a real problem. Okay, I mean, here it's Greg. My wife and I went a few years ago, and at the time, found a different resort that would have been perfect for the kids, and thought they would love it. Um, after these reports, there is no way we would go back either with or without children, and that's a reality. Okay, here's another text. Hi Jeff. I go to Cozumel several times a year for work. It's always quite safe. I talked with locals and asked them about crime. Um, there is some, but of course, you know, not much. That's the you know, that's the the place and I, I understand this, but th- this is the problem that the tourism people have, because, again, you can make decisions to go pretty much anywhere you want. And crime and safety is, in fact, a factor. I believe, candidly, that's one of the reasons that you had what I believe was a conspiracy of silence. When some of this stuff was going on in these resorts, they didn't want the word to get out. And so instead of necessarily dealing with it aggressively, what happened is they kind of swept it under the rug and kind of covered it up because they didn't want these stories to get out. Well, the problem is that only makes it worse. Uh, there, there are shopping areas in this community, for example, that discourage the merchants from reporting shoplifting because the concern is if we say that there's a lot of shoplifting at this particular department at this particular shopping mall well that might scare people off so they encourage the merchants like, not to prosecute shoplifters and not to call the police well the problem of course is yeah maybe people don't find out about it right away but that doesn't make the problem go away and if anything the problem gets worse this is what happens when you decide to not aggressively and openly deal with something up front and Mexico is now facing the situation. I will tell you. You talk about like crime and safety to travel and things like that. I when we went to Key West in February, and I had not my wife had never been to Key West. I had not been to Key West in years. I was just struck by how safe the area was. To me, it was like New Orleans without the fear of crime. I just you'd walk up and down these streets. And I remember I was talking to some like of the local folks, and I said, "Maybe it's just me, uh, but I, I just." I, I don't sense that there's much crime here. And they said, oh, there's crime. You know, Every once in a while, somebody will get drunk and steal somebody else's bicycle. But as a general rule, no, they're, there's, they're, they're very aggressive about it. They just don't tolerate it because as a tourist location, you can't have this stuff go on because if the reputation gets out and it's dangerous or people are getting mugged or whatever, then people aren't going to come there. The problem that I think some of these Mexican resorts had is this stuff was going on, the bad alcohol and the people who were doing this, and instead of just confronting the situation, situation, situation directly. They tried to sweep it under the rug, and now, I mean, they are are reaping what they have sowed. All right, it is 2.54. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa and Greg have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News.